Welcome to Everything In Between, the podcast where a dad and daughter duo delve deep into topics ranging from true crime to paranormal occurrences to urban legends and, well, everything in between. I'm Emma. I'm the dad. And we are joined. Whoa, that's a niche. Oh my God. And we are joined <laughs> once again um, by Jessica. Hey. Woo. <laughs> um, yeah, we're in Maine, enjoying the wildlife, lots of wildlife, many different birds. Butterflies, bees. It's Tuesday, and it's Tuesday because. Because. Why are we recording on Tuesday? I didn't finish my story yesterday when we usually record. So again, this will be maybe done live. Listen. Yeah, I'm just gonna put it up because I'm not gonna. It's too nice a day, right? And we, we Jess have and I are setting up the volleyball Heck net. Yes. We're setting up the volleyball net, and we're not gonna be sitting in here. So you actually, you could edit. That's fine. Actually. <laughs> Should I use sound trap? If you want to spend the rest of the week trying <laughs> no, to get it out. I would cry about that. Okay. Anyway, well. use GarageBand. Right. We're team GarageBand. Well, we're team anything but Soundtrap. That's really Yeah, that's true. And GarageBand's free, so that's why we're team GarageBand. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone wants to sponsor us, you know, we're here. That's yeah, okay. Let's go on. Come on. Um, what did you watch? We watched The Usual Suspects for the first time, which was very exciting. And right, so we're up, we, like we said, we're up in Maine. We have our 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 besties, right? <laughs> the Sabatinos are up. Um, uh, well, almost them all. Greg is working hard, which is we're very disappointing. So it's, it's, oh my god! It's really not the <laughs> same. Does it make a dad joke. Yeah, but it's not. It's <laughs> not the same. So, but because we're up here, we we're just, just trying to figure out movies that not everyone had seen. Well, mostly what you guys haven't seen because the parents had seen. But yeah, we did the Usual Suspects. Um, and it was really good i didn't understand what was going on for like the first 10 minutes like i just didn't know what they were saying at all like i couldn't actually hear what the words were <laughs> it, it's uh but then I, 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 got, I got it later on yeah i could i mean it wasn't the first film that did all that kind of like that flashback kind of thing but i think it was one of the best films that did it that way it was very clever, clever. what do you think jess did you like it i liked it a okay. lot I kept I kept mistaking that guy uh uh for what Buster guy? Bluth. Um Kevin Spacey. Oh. I oh. kept thinking oh. he was Buster Bluth. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> the hair, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and but then we decided that that kind of set the pay, the the uh Oh yeah, theme the theme. Cuz the next night we watched yeah. Knives Out again. So good. So good. Well, thank that, that, that was all jazz. Just like, we got to see this. They haven't seen it. They haven't seen it. <laughs> so it was good. What, what did, what did, uh, hey, Nicole, are you over there? Yeah. What did you think of Knives Out? It was good. I liked it. All right. Good. Good. The views are in. It was good and she liked it. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I just, every time I watch that movie, I realize how much I want to live in that house. It's just so perfect. It's so beautiful. And I like all the secret doors and stuff. It's really <laughs> cool. Anyway, yeah. Um, and then we just changed it up. Well, you guys did. Actually, I forgot. Then you guys had your night of <laughs> shenanigans. Exactly. That was what Sunday night. Yeah, we like pretty. We had a pretty interesting mix of movies. Like we started. Yes. We had to finish the like the second half of, of Teen Beach, Beach Movie Two, two. <laughs> um, because we weren't able to finish it before. So that was an experience. A masterpiece. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> it was really something. Uh, yeah. I will be permanently affected by it. <laughs> um, and then we were just browsing and we saw 10 Things I Hate About You. <laughs> and we were like, why not? So we watched it. And then we realized... There's no subconscious reason. Well, well then we realized how... After uh, we saw Heath Ledger <laughs> yeah. on Oh, no, I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about Heath Ledger. I was <laughs> thinking about the 10 Things I Hate About oh, You. I didn't know if that yeah. was... Oh, no, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, okay. I could name more than 10 Things uh, okay. I Hate About Emma. All right. Just <laughs> well, we can save that list for another day. All right. Because I'm sure it will grow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we we really liked the scenes that Heath Ledger was in. <clears throat> and then we watched the first half of A Knight's Tale so that we could watch more, more Heath Ledger. Ledger. <laughs> and 
And yeah, and then uh, last night, uh, the whole family amalgamation. We watched Stuber on was it HBO Showtime? HBO Max, yeah. And that was funny. Yeah, no. Uh, again, we I think we went in with low expectations. Yeah. But I think we are now huge fans of Kumail Nanjiani. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he was great in um, The Big Sick. I mean, that's. But and I've seen some of the stand up. I haven't watched him in Silicon Valley and some of the other shows he's been in. Um, but uh, that this. him in the Lovebirds. Yeah, the too. Love, right. Yeah, that was that good. That was so good. But this with Batista, there, yeah. there is chemistry there, <laughs> <laughs> and and the thing is, everything he says, we've all thought about. Like when Kumail's like saying, just mentioning or describing or explaining anything, you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, that was I was very surprised and happy about that. So yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. And I I think I was saying this with Batista, he's just he just speaks the same no matter what his character is <laughs> so if you close your eyes you're like hey is drax on earth <laughs> so, yeah but yeah so that was good yeah. anything else um i already forgot the list that we talked about no, i don't think there's anything else i think we figured uh it's a really nice day so like we said we want to get out so we're gonna try to um power through and uh oh you stories. said <laughs> Justin and i graduated <laughs> yeah they we had already got virtual our graduation but... so now it's Official. Official. Yeah, We've gone right. from high school students to unemployed. No, I think you were. It's not. Those weren't. Well, I know. <laughs> We've gone from like so. occupation student to occupation nun. No, no, you're. No, you are occupation student. student now. It just costs more. But I'm not a, lot a student yet. It's not free. <laughs> no, you are a student. But like this is a little like I guess you're limbo right. you in between. You haven't officially registered. So yeah. I didn't know that. Well, I mean, we have to we, give money. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we've paid a little bit already. That's for, true, right? Like, There's that deposit. and the yeah. deposit, yeah. And, you know. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, it's the same. It just, we're all poorer. Oh. You're welcome. Yeah. Of course. Aren't so you, you get so for glad having kids. you had kids? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we did have time machines. Well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Out. Okay. <laughs> let's go. So, you're doing, uh, what are you doing again? True crime. All right. I have a... It's an in-between, but Ooh. there's some... It's got a little bit of everything in it. That's why we're called Everything In-Between. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's hear it. All right. Um, so, like I said, I'm doing a true crime episode. Uh, and I'll start with my sources. Uh, it's pretty much the, the normal stuff. Wikipedia, Britannica, Chronicle Live. That's a new one. Uh, Murderpedia, the official website of this person, um, and the Radio Times and the Plymouth Herald. So when you say the official website of this person, well, they wrote it or this no, is... No, no, This took place in the 1800s. <laughs> but it's about, it's like a, a website devoted to them. Fair enough. Okay. I don't know if it's that official. I just, it's, it's like their name.com. So, I... well, again, I guess if it's on the internet... Of course. I mean, don't you real. have to believe everything you see on the internet? Yeah. Obviously, that's how I live my life. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, our story begins in England on a cold Halloween night in 1832. And originally, I was like, oh, I should start this story. I hope it was like a full moon or like a new moon. And then I could like start it off with those creepy vibes. And then I looked it up and it was just like a regular waxing gibbous. Well, it's still Halloween. I mean, yeah, you got that. Yeah, I got that. But I didn't get the full moon thing that I was looking for. So anyway, I looked up moon Was phases. Halloween a thing in that in 1832? When did Halloween well, become a thing? Is Halloween even a thing in England? I thought they don't well, really... Well, it isn't. It, no, it's probably more recent than... I thought they that. don't really do Halloween. Well, they do now. Oh. Well, I mean, they didn't, I thought. No, you're right. Yeah. So, yeah, forget. No vibe. <sighs> we can make it a vibe. Mm. Because that's our power as storytellers. <laughs> anyway, uh, so on that date, uh, Marianne Robson was born to Michael and Margaret Robson in the small village of Low Morsley. I like the name Robson. I don't know why. Because it sounds like Robertson? No. 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 <laughs> I thought, okay. In 1834, uh, the couple had another daughter who died in infancy. And then the next year, um, they had a son, Robert. Robert Robson. Robert Robson. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, you go by Bobby. 
I don't. I Bob. don't. Know. I don't think he ever comes up. Ever English again. Bob. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Why would they call him English Bob if they're all English? I don't know. Okay. Uh, when Marianne was eight, uh, her family moved to the village of Merton. Uh, her Sunday school, which, by the way, I showed this to Jessica, was called uh, Wesleyan Sunday School, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Yeah. Um, described Marianne as, quote, a most exemplary and regular attender, a girl of innocent disposition and average intelligence, distinguished for her particularly clean and tidy appearance. Hmm. So she was pretty okay with her brain and pretty and well-behaved is basically what I'm getting from that. Apparently. So, uh, so Marianne's father was a coal miner. And soon after they moved, he died by falling 150 feet down a mine shaft. Oh. Ow. Yeah. Not fun. But don't worry, because this story gets so much worse. But not yet. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, so because the house that they lived in, like the family lived in, was tied to Michael's job, the father... Uh, the family was set to be evicted. Um, and then Margaret, the next year, married George Stott, who was another minor, and then they got to like still have a home. Okay. So that was sorted out pretty quickly. All right. Uh, and then when she was 16, Marianne traveled to the nearby village of South Hetton to become a nurse. And so she ended up being like a live-in nurse um, at the home of a man named Edward Potter, who was actually like a manager of the coal company that her father used to work at. Okay. Um, her siblings were like sent off to boarding school. I guess she had more of them. Um, and so she was still working. And then when she, when her siblings were all sent off, she returned home. Okay. Um, and so she had a bedroom. So they're like, well, there's room for you here, but now there's room. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Um, so she That's returned. not going to work for you here. So we're going to rent out the room. Are you, make it so an you're going to send Christian to boarding school, though? No. But I'm Wasted just saying, like, when, because you'll be out of school. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'll just, I'll just stay with Jessica. Right, pal? Mm-hmm. Her siblings were sent off to boarding school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so Marianne returned to her stepfather's home to train to be a dressmaker. All right. So, a little bit of a career switch. I don't think she really wanted that. Um, so, in 1852, uh, when Marianne was 20, she married another minor called William Mowbray. Uh, then the couple moved away and had children, um, and they ended up having five kids, four of which died young. Um, Yikes. But none of the deaths were really like recorded because it wasn't enforced to actually register births and deaths yet. So okay, it wasn't. It was just kind of. Um, so there was only one child that actually had a birth that was recorded. Um, and so that was a daughter named Margaret Jane in 1856. All right. So Marianne and William moved back home and William found work as a fireman. Uh, then the couple had another daughter, Isabella, in 1858. And then two years later, uh, Margaret Jane died. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in 1861, they had another daughter who they oh, named geez. Margaret Jane. <laughs> I guess, nice. you know, as you do. Uh, and then in 1863, they had a son named John Robert William, but he died a year later from gastric fever. Uh, then uh, in January of 1865, William died of an intestinal disorder. And all this sucked, really sucked. I mean, she's losing her children, her husband, but luckily for Marianne, she had insurance policies taken out on their lives. Oh, come on. Um, and their deaths, you know, brought about like a year's worth of money, like labor money for her. So, you know, she's, she's at least she's, she's good there. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so following her husband's death, Marianne moved once again, this time to Seam Harbor, where she met uh, Joseph Natris. Uh, while the two were in a relationship, Margaret Jane, the second one, caught typhus fever and died at three and a half, leaving her with one child out of the nine or so that she had given birth to. Oh my God. Uh, Marianne moved again, this time to Sunderland, um, and started working at an infirmary as a nurse. 
And then she sent her only living child, Isabella, to live with Margaret, her mother. Okay. So now it's just her. Okay. Uh, one of Marianne's patients at the infirmary was an engineer named George Ward. Uh, in August of 1865, so William had died in January, now it's August, uh, they got married. Uh-huh. Uh, George had been admitted to the hospital with very weak health, and he didn't really get any better throughout their marriage. And on October 20th, 20th uh, 1866, he died from complications with his illness, which had left him paralyzed and with intestinal problems. But... Insurance, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, so officially his cause of death was from English cholera and typhoid. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of George's doctors verified that he was in fact ill from these, uh, but remarked that he was surprised at how quickly he died. Uh-huh. Um, so, like I said, Marianne collected on that insurance money. Uh, enter James Robinson a recently widowed shipwright who hired Marianne as a housekeeper in November of 1866. Um, a month into Marianne's job, uh, James's infant son, John, died of gastric fever. Um, and distraught, he turned to Marianne for comfort, and soon she found herself pregnant. I, it, as it, you know, magic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so this is a fertile woman. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so soon after receiving this news, Marianne was notified that her mother had fallen ill with hepatitis. So Marianne rushed back home to visit her and nurse her back to health. She lived? What? Her mom, mom survived? Well, her mom is alive. Like, she moved away from no, her No, I understand. Mom. But she went after and actually moved. nursed her back to health? She went to nurse her back to health. So her mom lived. Well, <laughs> um, as Margaret started to recover, she started complaining of stomach pains, and then she died in the spring of 1867 at 54, uh, oh nine days after Marianne had arrived. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are noticing a trend here. No, no, no I see no I, patterns. Yeah, um, but you know, this woman, just such a hard life for her. So, so sad. Uh, her stepfather, George Stott, then just sort of like married his neighbor, Hannah Paley. Just, I don't know. He just did. So he was just chilling over there. Um, and with Margaret's death, Isabella was called back to the house. And I think she had like pretty much grown up. So uh -huh. she was like gone, but she's called back. Um, and soon upon her arrival, she developed stomach pains. And okay. Died. Uh, and then, weirdly, two of James Robinson's children, Elizabeth and James, also suffered the same fate. Crazy. I, this is just, oh, wow. Um, unlucky so, gal. <laughs> yeah, so unlucky. Uh, so they were all buried around the same time, and Marianne received life insurance t checks from all three. Um, on August 11th, 1867, Marianne and James Robinson were wed. Uh, and then that November, they had a daughter named Margaret Isabella, who quickly fell ill and died in February 1868. Uh, uh. <laughs> uh, then they had a second child, George, who was born on June 18th, 1869. Meanwhile, Marianne was trying to convince James to take out a life insurance policy on himself. You know, this family is just so unlucky and... You might as well, just to be safe, just just take one out. You know, just just do it. Uh, well, that made him pretty suspicious. And then he discovered that she'd, quote, run up debts of 60 pounds behind his back and stolen more than 50 pounds that she had been expected to bank. So, she needs money. Um, then, What's her vice? Like, what I, is she spending I, money on? I don't know. I, okay. Things. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so he further found out that she had been forcing the children to like pawn household valuables to just have them. I don't know. Uh, so he was pretty angry at this and he kicked her out and he kept custody of George. Okay. Um, so Marianne began a desperate life on the streets, just sort of begging and all that kind of thing. 
down on her luck. Gosh, if only all of her other family members and husbands weren't dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, before long, her friend, Margaret Cotton, introduced her to her brother, Frederick. There's a lot of Margarets. There yeah. are. Yeah. Uh, Frederick was a pitman living in another village called Walbottle, who had recently lost his wife and two of his four children. Uh, Margaret had been helping parent the remaining children, Frederick Jr. and Charles, but in late March of 1870, she died from, quote, undetermined stomach ailments. Okay. Uh, Marianne decided to step in and assume Margaret's duties. You know, it's what she would have wanted. Right? Oh, my God. Uh, so she decided to console Frederick and parent his children. Uh, and then soon she was pregnant with her 12th child. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. Uh, I... That's too many. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just, Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Marianne and Frederick were married on September 17th, 1870, even though Marianne was still technically married to James Robinson, they just did it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then their son, Robert was born in early 1971. Uh, soon after that, 18, yeah. Yeah. Soon after that, uh, Marianne learned that her old flame, Joseph Natras was living by nearby. And he was no longer married. So she pursued him and rekindled the romance. Mm. And she convinced her new family to move nearer to him. Uh, then that December, Frederick died from gastric fever. And uh, Marianne collected on a life insurance check. Of course. <laughs> After Frederick's death, uh, Joseph Natras moved into Marianne Cotton's house um, as a lodger and at this time she was also working as a nurse and so she was treating this guy for smallpox <laughs> and his identity is kind of disputed like some report his name is john quick manning but like there isn't anyone that exists with that name from then right uh, but then there is someone that exists who's named richard Quickman. so i mean yeah it was probably him so regardless of what his name was he got Marianne pregnant with her 13th child. What a whore. <laughs> I can't even. Oh, my God. Um, and in March of 1872, uh, Frederick Jr. died. And the infant Robert followed soon after. All right. This, guy, this has to end soon. I can't just it keep does. listening to. It more does. Don't worry. Just, yeah, <laughs> um, so then, then Natris uh, contracted gastric oh, fever. Oh, God. And then he died pretty soon after altering his will to leave everything to Marianne. All right. Now, there's only one cotton left, Charles. Uh, Marianne asked a parish official, uh, Thomas Riley, if Charles could be, quote, committed to the workhouse. Uh, Riley, who is also the county's coroner, uh, told her that she would have to go with him. And in response, she said that Charles was sick and that, quote, I won't be troubled long. He'll go like all the rest of the cottons. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, five days later, Marianne told Riley that Charles was dead. <laughs> uh, this made him pretty suspicious. Naturally. Shockingly. <laughs> and so Riley convinced the police and the town's doctor not to sign the death certificate until the circumstances had been properly investigated. Um, and Marianne went to the insurance office, like, right after Charles's death, like, before she even went to the doctor, she went to the insurance office. Um, and that's when she discovered that she wouldn't actually get any money until the circumstances of his death were investigated. Uh-huh. Um, so an inquest was held, and a jury found that Charles had died of natural causes. Yeah. Marianne claimed that Riley had made accusations against her because she had rejected his advances. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, but the newspapers were very intrigued by this story, and so they went digging into Marianne's past. Uh-huh. And they found that she'd been moving around for quite some time, and there was a trail of death behind her. Three husbands, a lover, a friend, her mother, her 11 children, and all of them had died from, like, these weird stomach fevers. That caused pretty big uproar. 
Uh, one of the doctors who was attending Charles's autopsy, I can speak, uh, Dr. William Byers Kilburn, had kept samples from the investigation and tested them, and they came up positive for arsenic. Uh, he reported his findings to the police, and they quickly arrested and charged Marianne Cotton for the death of Charles. Uh, her trial was delayed until after she had given birth to her last child on January 10th, 1873, a daughter named Margaret Edith Quickmanning Cotton. Okay. Obviously, she was found guilty. <laughs> I don't know if that surprises anyone. Um, but, but she was innocent. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> she was just so unlucky. I can't believe all of this tragedy f- befell her. Jeez. And now she's convicted. Like, oh. Nice. Yeah. Like pouring salt in the wound. <laughs> Worse than that, she was sentenced to death. Oh, no. Um, and although she tried to appeal, she was hanged on March 24th, 1873. Um, but the rope was a little bit too short. So instead of like her like snapping her neck, like usual, like often happens. Uh, she strangled to death. And some people think that it was made too short on purpose um, because people were not happy with her. I thought they would just feed her arsenic. <laughs> um, so out of her 13 children, only two survived. Um, Margaret Edith, who ended up dying in like 1954. Okay. Um, and her son, George, who was fathered by James yep. Robinson. Um, and of course, there's like a nursery rhyme about her. Which I'm not going to read out here because it's like kind of long. Um, but there is one. So, I mean, what female serial killer doesn't have one, honestly? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then in the early 1990s, when the Durham Jail, which was where she was held and eventually executed, uh, so it was being renovated, and some of the graves were disturbed, including hers, and they found Marianne's bones accompanied by a pair of her shoes, which had just survived. Uh, and then all the bones from all the disturbed graves were disturbed graves were later cremated. Um, but that is the story of Marianne Cotton. All right, then. Crazy. Crazy woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Well, guess I'll just watch what I eat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't worry. I would never poison you. Okay. It All would right. just be so unpleasant if you got gastric fever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god. So, as I said, it's an in-between. Um, over time, I guess it's become an urban legend or some kind of myth. Mass murderers involved. Um, takes Lovely. place Love in that. France in the 1760s. All right. Okay. Okay, I will... Uh, go into more detail as we go through and talk about sources, but let's just start with this, right? So I want you to, you can close your eyes or not, but picture this, okay? All right. 1760s, southern France. It's like I'm there. All right, good. You live in a town with rolling hills surrounded by farmland. The dream. However, at the edge of the town, there are um, hills as well, but they're slightly different. They're made of dark stone, um, and it was discovered later that it was volcan- uh, volcanic rock. So it's basically, they built all these things with that kind of rock. So because there was a volcano at some point, the soil is very fertile. Um, but on top of that surrounding hill of rock is uh, a very deep, thick forest. Ooh. All right. So that kind of surrounds, not the whole town. It's not like the town's enclosed, but, you know, at least... Partially of the, the town is just barricaded by these trees. Now, the town isn't this crazy overpopulated place. Um, everyone knows each other. And I don't understand why, but most of the women in the town, both young and old, were the ones who tended to livestock. Okay. Now, some men help, but usually it was younger you know, boys than it was men. But um, the only ones that were senior were the ones that were considered the experts of, you know, herding, I guess, and things like that. <laughs> So now, am I still imagining? This? Yeah, you are. Okay. So it's now it's it's a it's a <laughs> one evening. Okay, mm-hmm. it's people are in the tavern uh, in the main square area. Okay, okay, and all of a sudden they hear a loud ruckus if from coming within, right? 
Allow sounds like drunk patrons, of course, but it kind of sounds like they're singing. Okay. All right. So as you listen to the sounds, you hear more of a rallying cry than you hear, you know, a harmonious tune, I guess. Okay. Now, at the heart of this assembly is the pride of the town. Okay. Mm, a Gaston. hero to the men. Stop. <laughs> and the ideal partner to the women. It's Gaston. It does sound familiar, yes? <laughs> yes. It's Gaston. Okay. And the words are saying over and over is? Kill the beast. Correct. <laughs> However, this isn't a story about Gaston or Belle. I think I know what this story right. is. This is the true story that has become a legend over the past 250 years. It is the story of the beast of Gévaudon. Yes. Okay, so you know it? Yeah, I almost covered it, but I didn't. Okay, well. But I don't really remember it, so. Right, here are my sources. How Stuff Works, National Geographic. Actually, National Geographic had a scientific explanation to a lot of things that definitely there's a bunch of questions that I'll bring up at the end. Um, Museum Hack, all that's interesting. Forbes also. But there is a lot uh, around it. And um, it's a true story. But again, over the last 250 years, it's been manipulated into all these things. So so just get ready. Okay. So the terror itself started in 1764. A young girl was tending the livestock. It was actually a herd of bulls. And as she was in this rolling hill, she noticed that they were getting agitated. So she couldn't understand why. So she's kind of surveying to see if there's something around. But um, it was early afternoon. So broad daylight, it's it's rare for a predator or something to attack. Um, And then this strange thing happened. The bulls started to circle her, almost um, defend her in a way. So she's now in the center of the of all the bulls. Um, and she couldn't believe what was going on. She was trying to figure out what was happening. And she couldn't really see either because mm-hmm. they're so big. So she can't see through them or anything. And then all of a sudden, the bulls start to kind of huff in place and almost, you know, stand their ground by um, hitting their hooves on the ground. Um, but they were getting into more of an aggressive posture of defense. Uh, so she tried to peek again through the huddle and still couldn't really see much. Then finally, at one point, she caught just this dark object, a dark animal, mm-hmm. um, on four legs, but couldn't see what it was. Since the the animal was kind of circling, she didn't understand why it wasn't attacking the, the weakest of the herd. Mm-hmm. It, she started to feel like it was trying to come for her. So she's watching. No, the bulls are still just kind of like, you know, protecting her. And then in their defensive posture, they had the, the animal ran off. Mm. So now she's scared. She's like, all right, we're getting home. So she's trying to herd all the, the bulls back. And as they're going, um, the bulls are, walk, are, are following or kind of next to her. They all stop again because in the path, she sees this Creature big thing. black thing right again the bulls drive it off but as she's leaving she can she feels that the thing's looking at her <laughs> right so she gets home you know puts the bulls back into you know their pens and everything like that and she's now describing it to the family the family are like yeah, well i mean yeah could be a wolf whatever mm-hmm. starts telling the town the town are like look yeah i mean it's, it's what happens um but she's like look I don't, it wasn't going after the herd. It looked like it was going after me. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're a crazy woman. Um, So theme for today, crazy women. So they start, you know, going in like, you know, the wolves, we have predators. We'll just be more on alert. So that's Mm -hmm. the whole plan. Like, we'll just deal with it. Um, But the other thing was they did, she was kind of like the, even the bulls were so much bigger. She's not, you know, super tall, but that's not something they do. Like they don't go after adults or older women or uh, larger folks that, you know, they go for the weak link kind of mm-hmm. thing. So days pass. And then all of a sudden they're starting to see, uh, attacks on sheep, just kind of some close to farm, some out in the hills, that kind of thing. So it helped her feel better because she's like, okay, well there is something out there. I wasn't seeing things. Mm-hmm. And you know, the town's like, all right, well, we've got to be a little bit more vigilant. We'll start arming everybody just, you know, as they're, they're taking out their herds and everything like that. Some men started accompanying the, the, the women as they were out, but a month went by 
no further attacks, nothing. So things are now getting back to normal. Another month passes by. So now the men aren't as vigilant. Everybody's kind of like at ease. So 14-year-old um, uh, Jean Boulet was out with her sheep. And as the day was ending, she was ready to return home. And she never gets home. So her brother is kind of like, where's Jean? Parents are like, well, she's probably out, you know, whatever. You know, she's daydreaming. Maybe she fell asleep, whatever. Go, go get her. So he starts to go out, and as he's going out to get her, he starts to find the sheep scattered all, all along the way. So he's trying mm-hmm. to herd them, and he's realizing that there, there's some missing. And as he gets a little bit further out, he just sees in the middle just this gruesome carnage. And he's like, well, found the sheep. <laughs> and as it gets closer, it's not the sheep. Mm-hmm. He finds the remains of his sister, and only his sister. All the other sheep are accounted for afterwards. Oh. So... The, te- the town, of course, is, this is a demon. Like, you know, this is, you know, completely superstitious. This is how it's going to be. We, they start contacting the church, you know, everything. Like, we, we have this devil in the, in the woods. A week later, another body is found. This time, it's a young boy. Again, livestock untouched. Now, everyone is on high alert. But the news hasn't hit the, remote, the most remote areas of, of the town mm-hmm. or the village. So one evening, this girl was out with her flock, and um, she gets attacked. And she actually tries to fight off this predator. Hell yeah. So she's left mortally wounded, but when they finally get to her, she can describe the attacker. And she's saying basically it was a monster. And her description was it was a huge dog-like or wolf-like creature, shaggy, and she believed it was as big as a horse. So now the words are the, the, these attacks are hitting Paris. So it's getting in the wow. press now, right? Mm-hmm. So they're talking about this town. There's this thing. It's a demon. Is it a wolf? You know what's going on? So the locals, of course, are trying to solve this problem because there have been multiple deaths now, right. and they take a local infantry leader. His name is Jean Baptiste uh, Duhamel, and he organized a group of 30,000 <laughs> volunteers to hunt and kill the beast. Wow. So there was, you know, a reward of a year's salary for anyone who actually killed, killed it, killed the beast. Well, and I assume um, Jean was Garçon, Gaston, 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 sorry, my mistake. Um, now, besides this amount of people, they find nothing and the attacks though are still happening by the end of the year on average there were two attacks per month mostly two deaths uh at least two deaths a month but that was the low end it was getting to a point that was almost weekly all right now the victims again were mostly women and children i mean children teens um very rarely an adult man so now it's trophy hunters are coming out, right? Professional uh, hunters are coming, marksmen from all around the country and actually outside the country to basically solve this problem because mm-hmm. it would be the biggest kill ever. So headlines are now also hitting papers to other countries. And the death, the, the death tally is basically... The it, it got to a point where like any gamesman was like, yeah, this is this is what I do for a living. So of course I'm going to come solve the problem, and the papers then started to call it the the monster, the beast of uh, Javadon or Javudan. I can't remember how to say it exactly. The town, the town doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Um, so they all died. <laughs> professional hunters started to try their best and they would basically complain that it was the terrain that's why they couldn't track because of the the way the volcanic walls were and then getting into the forest that kind of thing Mm. um but as these failures started to add up king louis the 15th became obsessed as well with the beast so now he's like well i'm sending my best hunters and this will be solved because again it looks bad on him that this is happening in his country Mm -hmm. true now by the time he does this, it's been three years that this has been going on Yikes. of deaths. Okay, and during this time, he at first I think they were just you know it's 
the commoners, whatever, it doesn't matter. And I think it was when it affected somebody within his inner circle's family is when he's like, okay, all right, we'll take care of it. Mm -hmm. So the two professional hunters were named uh, Jean, Charles, Marc, Antoine Vamosle de Naval, and his son, Jean Francois. (laughs) (laughs) So they go to take care of this. And they spend four months hunting the wolves because they believe it's a wolf. Mm -hmm. Fine, nothing. Can't, don't kill anything, don't see anything. Right. And again, they also say it's this mountainous terrain, this, the, the, we just can't track. So the king is now completely embarrassed because this is you know, his best hunters. Mm-hmm. Somehow, though, his bodyguard, Francois Antoine, mm-hmm. um, basically says, hey, I can take care of this. Send me. <laughs> so he goes and... As he's there for a few weeks, he actually starts tracking things, and he had a team of men, and they were able to kill a wolf. Right? He was 31 inches tall. You got a shark, not the shark. <laughs> pretty much. Five feet uh, seven long. So that's pretty, I mean, that's... That's a big wolf. Taller than me. So the press, of course, are all over it. Yep. Yay. This is great. And they get, he gets a huge reward. From the king. Well, king probably should want his money back. <laughs> because for a short period of time, no more deaths. And then all of a sudden, bang. The attacks start happening over and over again. So now the description of what's killing is becoming much more mythical. Some claim that the beast had supernatural abilities. Some claim that it could walk on hind legs. And then some were like, nope, part wolf, part man. So this whole werewolf thing starts going out around. Now, with this mass hysteria growing, and the, the king's like, I'm not sending anybody else, the mm-hmm. locals are on their own again. So they decide to turn to a local farmer named Jean. Everybody's named Jean. Um, Chastel. It's okay, everyone in the last one was named Margaret. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Now, he was in prison at the time, oh. but he was released to help begin the hunt for the beast. Yay. Love that. So think Quint, I'm thinking here. Yeah. Because he wanted to work alone. <laughs> okay. But authorities wouldn't allow it because they're afraid, like, look, he'll just make a run for it. Now, I don't exactly know why he was put in jail, but Tax I don't fraud. think it was for a good reason. Oh. So he ends up assembling a very small crew, um, and they go into the forest to search for the beast. And he explains that, look... I don't think I can prevent more killings to happen because I kind of need that because that's how I'm going to be able to track Mm -hmm. because of the trails and things like that. But he's in the forest waiting and pretty quickly he shoots and kills this huge wolf bigger than the other one. They didn't give the dimensions or the details. Mm -hmm. But this was weeks after him being released. And of course, he gets credited for finally ending this carnage because no more killings had happened after that. So rumors start to spread across the region and, you know, and I have no idea where this came from, but the papers were saying that when they um, disemboweled and did the autopsy, they found human remains in, oh. in the wolf. So, of course, they've caught the wolf. They found what kind of remains? Anyway. Exactly? So, of what sort? And <laughs> this, of course, proved that the beast was dead. The final head count over this time? 113 deaths Wow! over three years. Yikes. That's 100 more children than Marianne Cotton birthed. <laughs> but again, mostly women and children. Now, this is what's interesting. So the historians and scientists that have been covering this for whatever, 200, well, I don't know, maybe the last 50 years or whatever, th- what they couldn't understand was that a wolf itself, a singular uh, rogue wolf, still wouldn't attack something bigger than them or close to their size. It just, it would be too much of a risk. Mm. Now, a pack of wolves would make sense, but when they were, at least the reports of how they discovered, there was never this sign of multiple kills either. It was usually... Just the one. Yeah, the livestock were usually untouched. Um, But, so they, none of this was adding up on how this could be a wolf, Mm -hmm. right? So... The other thing that they were trying to figure out was that, okay, maybe it was a rabid wolf because it was happening at any time of day and that kind of thing. But they thought a rabid wolf 
couldn't survive for three years because the disease itself, you know, mm-hmm. it, it starts to work on your um, nervous system and you would basically die from starvation, things like that. So they still were kind of like, ah, I don't know what could it could have been. So then there were other theories that they believed it could have been a hyena oh. or a lion oh. because they believed at the time, well, people had exotic pets. Oh. So it was just kind of one of those things, you know. Mm-hmm. So could have they, could that have escaped? But then the problem was it was three years. Could they have survived in that environment? Because, you know, it isn't uh, the, just Maybe. the weather in itself. The weather fluctuations would have been an issue. Then the last theory was that the prisoner that came out, um, Jean Chastel mm-hmm. or Castile, um, was the actual killer. <gasps> and they think because he may have been a serial killer or he was his family were a bunch of serial killers. And there was all these other things about the farmland and what he was trying to do. But they believe he may have bred an animal to actually kill. Oh, so, my God. A crossbred dogs with a wolf or something like that. And then they even said a hyena. Um and some say that Sir uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's The Hound of the Baskervilles mm-hmm. is maybe had been inspired by this story about this guy and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that gave it more legs uh, that it, this w- this could have been after, of course, the story came out and then all these other things. But um, in the end, no one really knows who, what, or why this happened in this period of time for this long um and if he was the killer well who knows yeah and why they don't know long dead now but yeah but that's the killer that's and the beast with which thing was from like national geographic though the historians and the scientists were because they had this whole thing about they they look through data of other because there have been in the in, the, in that time there were actual um, wolf attacks on human, and and what they found was either the, the wolves were rabid, or it was a pack, and they were starved, or that kind of thing. But it wasn't as if they discriminated against any. Like they were going like any meat is good meat, mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind right. of thing. But um, and then the size, they were just like this. This is unheard of for a wolf to go like again. A single wolf wouldn't attack a human being. A pack may if they were right because they had multiple uh, uh, wolves to, to take something down but yeah wow. there you go. so yeah crazy hey there's I a there is a movie that I think is kind of also talks about this uh, it, it was and it was really well done like the the brotherhood of wolves or something like that I gotta find it we should I mean yeah. it's worth seeing at some point my theory is that the farmer was a werewolf there you go then. <laughs> if, it, if it was in London, it would have been so much easier for a song. But you know. Well, I already used that song. Oh, uh, that's right. Because right. I did my story about werewolves. That's right. I yeah. think I. No, no, you did. You like the wolf though for the werewolves. No, that was for. Uh, we have werewolves of London on our list. I think so because yeah. I used "Have You Like the Wolf" for what's her name, Diane Downs. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm doing uh, then. Mine's just going to be the Beast of Burden. <laughs> okay. So all right. All right, so I have some bird-themed fun facts for us uh, from Mental Floss, because why not, you know? We've seen a lot of birds this weekend. We have, um, although none of them are ones I'll be talking Lame. about. Yeah, and the groundhog. <laughs> I don't have any groundhog facts either. I'm sorry to disappoint. Yeah, you're anyway, used to that. Okay, well, number one. Uh, <laughs> Cardinals. Ooh, no. that's me. Uh, cardinals like to cover themselves in ants. <laughs> really? You should go roll around on the lawn. I mean, yeah. Since you're a cardinal this now. Is like, this is utopia over here for the cardinals. Cardinals, along with several other bird species, uh, sometimes cover themselves in crushed or living ants, smearing them over their feathers or allowing living ants to crawl on them. While scientists still aren't sure what the purpose of anting is... Some believe birds use the formic acid secreted during their ant bath to help get rid of lice and other parasites. Huh. That's so. interesting because we saw that cardinal in the bushes there. We thought that it might have had a nest, but I'm wondering if it's because the, the ants that are Maybe. there. Okay. Um, kiwis ah. are sometimes called honorary mammals. <laughs> 
Native to New Zealand, kiwis are a bizarre land-bound bird. Scientists, so mystified by the kiwi's strange properties, which include feathers that feel like hair, heavy bones filled with marrow, and nostrils on the tip of their nose rather than on the base of their beak like most birds, have sometimes called them honorary mammals. Huh, I did not know that. Lastly, Hotzen chicks are born with claws on their wings. Um, though they disappear after three months, young Hotzen, also known as stink birds, <laughs> for their unique stench, <laughs> uh, have two claws on each wing, which they can use to climb across tree branches or pull themselves out of water onto dry land. Uh, the claws also help chicks hide from predators. After jumping from their nest to the water below, the little Hotzen swim some distance, then pull themselves on land with their claws. When the coast is clear, they use their claws to climb up onto a tree branch. So they could also be considered kind of like a mammal, like the bat? Uh, well, I, bats have claws, right, on their wings? Like right, the but I feel like they probably don't qualify for any of the other criteria oh, mammals. Fair enough, I guess, if you only have one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I didn't even, I don't know what a Hotson was until I, this article. Yeah, no. It's just a bird. It's a stink bird. But yeah, those are our fun facts. All right. Um, so if you would like to send in your own fun facts, uh, please do so to our Gmail, which is everythinginpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, also, if you want to send in story suggestions or your own stories that you've experienced, send those there as well. You can also submit those things to our website, which is everythingpodcast.weebly.com. Check it out. Fun stuff there. Um, we are on social media. Our Instagram is at everything in podcast. Our Twitter is at between underscore podcast. And we have a Facebook group and page, both by the name of everything in between podcast. Check those out. We post so new episodes come out behind the scenes. Uh, I say behind the scenes. Not We don't really post behind the scenes pictures. <laughs> um, pictures of the, our stories we post. Fair. Um, but fun announcements like that. Um, so check that out uh, if you want um, if you're on a platform that allows you to do so please 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 rate review and subscribe it's very helpful for us gives us a nice ego boost and you know something to brag about <laughs> um, and lastly we pick out songs that match our stories each week and we've compiled those songs into a playlist on Spotify called the soundtrack in between so it's a chainsaw in the background, so everybody just knows. oh yeah. So somebody's either fell in the tree there, so we're just waiting. So yeah, or there's you know leather faces on this way. Oh, lovely! You know we still haven't seen that movie. Yeah, you know he died. Toby Hooper just oh, died. The well, director. I don't know who that is. He was the director. Oh, yeah, he also directed Poltergeist. Remember we talked about that? Oh yeah. Yeah, he yeah, passed away just in the last couple of weeks. Um. Anyway, soundtrack in between us. Yeah, wait, go listen. Yeah. Um. So I guess that's it. I think. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Jessica, for <laughs> enduring this podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> it's good color. It's good. But she's just brings in. That's not smart. You know? Yeah. Just like, Crazy yeah, don't say that. That's not. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess until next week. Until next week. We don't know where we'll be, but yeah. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> right, bye. bye.